Welcome to Highly Volatile, an unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both business and investing. My name is Kevin Van Trump, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together, we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth hacks and exciting new investment opportunities. But at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls or unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. And please remember, there's risk in trading futures and options. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources, foundations for you to buy or sell any commodity, any stock, or any type of other investment. So make sure you use the podcast as an educational tool to broaden your horizons and maybe add a bit more perspective. Hi, this is Kevin Van Trump here with a, uh, my good friend Andy Daniels, another edition of our Highly Volatile Podcast. Fourth of July, shortened week, and Andy and I thought we'd just jump on and do one uh, together. Andy's got a special friend we're going to have on next time, and uh, we're kind of excited about that. But uh, we're going to just talk a little bit about the markets, what we're doing uh, with some of the trade things. Andy, what have been doing? Traveling around? I heard you play a little golf. Well, you know, travel's pretty limited with COVID, but uh, the latter uh, is in full uh, and uh, plenty right now. Yeah, I've been doing some golfing, uh, a lot of fishing out here in Idaho, and uh, just uh, enjoying the mountains in between raindrops and trading. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, I had a question for you. I, I don't know if the listeners all know it, but Andy has always partaked in the uh, Memphis and May barbecue thing. You, you guys finished way up on the rib thing. I've been doing some barbecue, and I bought Jordan a – I didn't buy him a Hasty Bake now. So Andy bought me a – one of the huge proponents of Hasty Bake uh, smokers, grills, and we all have had them. And I ended up buying a Napoleon gas grill from Michelle. What do you think of the gas grills, Andy? <laughs> Don't ask you, Kevin. You know my answer. I wouldn't own a gas grill for all the tea in China. I hear you, but Michelle, she hates having to build the fire and go out there and jack with the charcoal or the wood, you know, the bricks or anything. But oh hell, it's simple and it works. It works well. Yeah, yeah it works well. Yeah, gas is fine. It's just not a purest uh, kind of a uh, uh, utilitarian uh, product that I would use. Uh, is a purest barbecuist, I guess I'd call myself. But what you, yeah, you got, uh, Jordan? Would you get him? Well, it's his birthday coming up, and. Uh, He's got this new place downtown. He didn't have a lot of – I'd had one of those – you know, when we owned the restaurant, uh, one of the restaurants, I'd had a Southern Pride uh, big barbecue, commercial barbecue outfit. A buddy of mine is the rep for him. And, hell, that thing was awesome, but shit, there's not – I mean, you can't get one damn near under 800 pounds, and he he wanted it to set up on this kind of deck that's elevated. And, sure. You know, he couldn't get anything, so I wanted uh, – kind of a feel of a commercial smoker. So there's this company, I guess, out of Waukegan up in uh, – outside of Chicago, but I think it's called Smoke Daddy or something like that. But anyway, I ended up buying one from there. It's pretty cool. It, it, it's a vertical, though. It stands about as tall as him, and uh, it's probably got about six racks, you know. 
It's a vertical. Now, is it, is it, uh, is it, is it pellets or is it uh, charcoal? It's pellet, but it does, it, it's both. You, gotta, you, you have to run electricity to it plus the pellets. So it's kind of similar to a southern prior where you got electricity plus you got the gas. But this is actually wood induction, not propane. So, but it circulates and does all that. But I was telling him, like, you're the guru on the rib thing. Well, Michelle and I, I was cooking some ribs today. You put them in, you cover them with foil on yours earlier or later. I can't remember. You remember you told me. But tell the guy, anyway, tell him, you, what did you guys take down there in ribs that year at the Memphis and May contest? Well, to Jordan's gift, I mean, you know, pellet poopers are really simple. And they, they, uh, they work well. And uh, is, even a purist has to uh, give a nod to their, the, 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 the uh, finished product. Uh, it's awful hard to screw it up when you set the time and you set the temperature and let her go. And uh, you don't need to worry about it. So, I, I, yeah, there's, there, there's nothing wrong with them. They, they, they work well. Um, answered your question. So, yeah, we were in uh, Memphis in May, oh, back, starting back in 2006. Yeah, 2006, uh, when we moved down to Memphis, my daughter was in St. Jude, and got involved in the barbecue contest, and we were in it for 11 years uh, uh, through 2017. And, you know, every year we got together and just a bunch of grain guys from different parts of the U.S. could get together down there and, uh, and barbecue. And so most of the teams barbecue every weekend all year long, or at least 30 out of 50 weekends at least, in different contests all around, you know, the Mid-South. And we do, we were just some hacks that got together once a year and uh, raised a lot of money for St. Jude. And, of course, we turned that into uh, what is Davos on the Delta and, uh, you know, and, and a lot of things, good, great things came from it. But uh, we came in. Our placements were out of 120 teams in ribs, 100 in shoulders, and uh, 80 in whole hog. We were in the rib category. And uh, we came in 107 our first year, uh, 90, 107, 90, 82, uh, 23, 25, 41, 39, 40. And then our last year, 2017, we came in uh, third. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a full week of everyone's time, and, you know, you're down there sweating uh, over the uh, smokers all day long. So the team kind of wanted to hang up their spurs on a high note. But uh, I did get them to agree to come back one last time for a, uh, a final farewell, and uh, then COVID hit. So we didn't get to do it this year, but uh, we're all committed to doing it next year. <laughs> yeah, hell, that was always a good time. Michelle and I would always come down. and uh, I remember, but did you guys, when you were doing that, what, what the hell, when did you – I've had a bunch of different people tell me rib recipes through the year. I remember, you know, we'd sometimes cook them, cover them with foil early, and sometimes didn't cover them with any foil. And I don't know. We got a couple of new machines out here. Were you, what were you? Do, what do you do on yours at home? You cover yours with foil well, my backyard's here at all. Well, I try not to because I think that when you take the foil off, in the bottom of it is a bunch of liquid, and that's your that's your flavor, um, and so it tends to you know boil in the foil. One of the reasons people do foil is to speed up the cooking time, and the other is to keep the outward appearance to be more golden in, in the coloration as opposed to dark, and the dark bark versus the golden bark. And um, I like not using foil if possible. It requires a lot more rotation of the ribs because those at the top of the smoker will get more smoke 
and those at the bottom will get less, so you've got to keep them rotating. And at the same time, the uh, uh, so if you're going to – the first two hours of smoking is really when you are able to permeate the meat. And uh, it's important that you don't have anything on them for those two hours. After the temp interior internal temperature of the meat gets around 120 degrees, then it shuts off, you know, uh, the fibers close down and, and no more smoke permeates into the meat. And so at that point, it's okay to uh, foil if you're going to. Um, but uh, so I like to go at a minimum two hours on direct heat with a lot of wood chunks. I smoke, and then you, it doesn't matter if the smoke or not when you when you foil them, uh, and then foil them for two hours, and then they they're kind of mushy when they come out of the foil after four hours and kicking them around 225 temperature, and uh, then you they kind of firm up a little bit more for an hour, and then at the very end you put on a glaze of uh, barbecue sauce and then let that kind of baste in there for another half hour 45 minutes or until they feel right. It, the, the ribs take anywhere from four to six hours, depending on how you do it, and depending on what elevation you're at and temperature outside. Huh. Didn't you but I like just starting out with uh, I like starting out just with with a uh, uh, just regular um, Heinz yellow mustard and uh, or French's yellow mustard, excuse me, no flavored mustard, and that's kind of your uh, the bonding agent. And then you put your rub on, and then you put them on the flame, and then you smoke them, and at the very end, put on a glaze of barbecue sauce. Now, you guys in Kansas City like to smother your ribs in barbecue sauce, so it's a whole different experience. But uh, <laughs> purists like to have less barbecue sauce and more of the actual flavor of the meat, not synthetic flavor from the sauce. Oh, yeah, I hear you. Didn't you tell me that they were, like, judge you on, like, so here in Kansas City, you know, if it falls off the bone, people just think that's awesome, and you know, like you were talking more sauce and this and that. But didn't you say, like, if it falls off the bone, that, that you're out or something? Like, do you get points off for that? Well, they, they, they grade you on a variety of things. One is your uh, presentation uh, in the blind box, for instance. Uh, you have to cut your, 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 your ribs just right, two bones in the middle with meat extending on both ends. And you don't want it to have any mars, so you, you make sure that there are no you know, torn pieces of uh, rib and you want to kind of use the barbecue sauce as, as a paintbrush or the, uh, to, to keep things looking just right. And then you have a certain process for stacking. So that's your presentation. And then you have taste, you have texture, and that plays into are they overcooked, undercooked. And when you pull the rib apart, you want to see some grayness on the bone and they need to pull easy but not fall off, as you said. Or you don't need a chainsaw to rip them apart. Um, so, you know, you have about six different categories. You're, you're, and then your appearance as a, as a team. Uh, do you have dirt under your fingernails? Um, were the water glasses clean? You know, all the things the judges will really? mark you up or down on. Oh, yeah. Well, what were you talking Hey, I do remember this. What, didn't you tell me you found a good line for the ribs or you were using that it, it was really good? Or who well, the ones we came in third... Um, the, the ones we came in third last year, or two years ago, excuse me, um, were, were, were Neiman's, and they, they, uh, they're range-free, hormone-free. It's kind of a uh, – they, they came from 19, the late 1960s uh, 4-H deal, and uh, 
and they bred those for, for their flavor and, and, and did ultrasounds on the hogs until they really got their, the, the, the brand just right and the, uh, and the texture of the, uh, of the hog just right. And, uh, so now they're available commercially. Um, they're, you know, if a, they're probably twice as much as, as a normal slab of ribs that you cook in the backyard. But, uh, when you're in competition, you know, price isn't really that important. Hell, <laughs> cost per rack is about 25, 30 bucks when, by the time you're, uh, you serve them up, um, but they're worth it in in competition style. Yeah, I love them. They're great. You can tell a difference, huh? And, and you also yeah, don't. One of the one of the misnomers is people go, "I want to get you know the biggest ribs I can." Well, what you really want, if you get Costco ribs, for instance, they'll be three and a half, sometimes four pounds per rack, uh, and it's just you may as well be eating pork chops. But what you really want is a thinner rib, and, and they, they call it 2.5 down. In other words, maximum 2.5 pounds down to 2 pounds. And, you know, you can't get that exact science right. But the thinner the rib, the more flavor, the more uh, and that's the more class, you taste. Huh? Yeah, uh-huh, right. Perfect. So it's not a bigger is better in the case of uh, ribs when, when it comes to uh, taste, flavor, and the finished product. Interesting. Yeah, the listeners probably didn't know you were a barbecue connoisseur. <laughs> You've been doing this for a while, though. <laughs> You've been barbecuing it up. So. Good barbecue. I made turkey. Yeah. You usually do a ton of turkeys for neighbors and everything, too, at Thanksgiving and all that, don't you? Yeah, we usually smoke probably five or six turkeys and then do I, – I really am a big fan of the deep-fried turkey, I'll, I'll tell you. It, yeah. it just locks in the flavor and the juices so much. Um, and, and, frankly, I'm not really – you know – the wife always cooks a uh, uh, oven turkey, but uh, I, I can't tell you the last time I had any. I like the, oh, either yeah. the uh, smoke or or the, just keep fried, it simple, stupid. Get a, a deep fryer and, and fry them up three pounds a minute, three and a half pounds a minute, and uh, that's as good as it gets just for turkeys. I hear you, my man. So, hell, let's, uh, I guess let's talk, switch gears and talk to markets here. You got any new trades or anything you're looking at or? What do you think of the stock market? Oh. Well, um, I'll give you my thoughts first. Uh, we got, you know, obviously we have the uh, report coming up here Tuesday and uh, a lot of expectations of what we might expect. I guess uh, start just by talking about corn for a minute. You know, we have what crop conditions are 72% good to excellent, great. Um, got a little dryness that we need to watch primarily in the Eastern Belt and then the normal suspects, and you know, out in Kansas and North Texas and places like that. But, you know, right now we're on target. Kevin, we were talking earlier. I mean, how we could have a 180 bushel yield on the top end and you plug in the average guess of 95 million acres and the unknowns of the non-export market we're currently involved with, we're going to have a, upward to a 16 billion bushel crop if all things go well. And... um you start penciling in no problems, and you're looking at, you know, possibly a 3.5 or North carryout in, in corn, which uh, I hate to say it, but probably pretends for lower prices. You know, the function of the market is to eventually shed the high-cost produ- producers, and unfortunately the governments keep sending out checks and aren't doing anything to discourage acres through farm bills and programs. Um, so, you know, we're kind of ignoring that we are the high-cost producer. Uh, we're producing below actual costs, and without the subsidies, uh, 
you know, the true cost of production is higher than the current market value. And, you know, without a weather problem, I, I, I just don't see and, – and I guess, you know, obviously right now what is what would you say the bullseye for pollination is, you know, July 10th to the 20th probably catches most of it. Um, where we sit right now, we're, we're sitting here around 325, 324 was the, what, the contract low in the December. Uh, funds are near record shorts. Um, and they're looking to test it down to $3. feels like the market's poised for a bearish report, so anything that's not bearish, I guess, is theoretically bullish. And, you know, if, if you can get a dead cat bounce pretty easy if we spook some of the funds up because we, you know, have uh, less than the 95 million acres that uh, the, the geniuses are looking for right now. Well, Kevin, you know, we've been talking for quite a while, and you've been saying in your letter and, and just in our conversations that, you know, you really want to own this thing between 320 and 280, and and I completely agree. Do you still feel that way? <clears throat> yeah, I do. I, I like I said, I've lifted some hedges. Uh, I'm gonna try and lift all hedges between 320 and 280 if we can push that far. I, I uh, bought just a touch of corn just to throw a friggin' line in the water uh, on the break this last week towards the end of the week, and. Uh, Oh, I think, like I said, I'm just going to take small nibbles as we work our way lower. But I'm just sitting there in my head saying, "What? Who in the hell is getting in short?" I mean, everybody's already known this information. Isn't anything being crazily revealed? And I just feel like it's a typical move of the funds. They've stayed short this market longer than they notoriously will stay short or long a market, and they've stayed in it for a long extended period. I mean, Corona kind of threw that extra curveball in there when it broke crude, but. You know, this is typical. Once they get everyone uh, to just say, you know what, shit, they're right. Prices are going to go lower. And this is when all your bulls, and, and I've listened to producers, and I've seen producers making sales down here yesterday. I mean, last week, late in the week on the break. And they got everybody now about basically in. I just think this is when they pass the baton off or start to, to some degree. And, you know, they'll, they've got to get out at some point. Uh, at least I, I say that. I, I know what you're going to say. They can remain irrational longer than we can remain solvent. But I I just feel like you're at this point. Uh, you remember last year? You remember last year when we were talking? That year, yeah, last year when we were in May when that spring it was just so horrific. And we said, you know, well, prices are here at four bucks. Well, maybe there's 20, 30 cents of downside. But, hey, there's there's a lot of upside potential. Well, now everyone's saying, Oh, hey, there's maybe a chance for a ten, twenty cent rally, thirty cent. That's about it. But you know, I just think it's flipped now. I mean, nobody's looking for any type of extended rally to come into play. I mean, shit, everybody. And when everybody gets on that side of the boat, Daddy, like you said, man, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm leery of that because it's hard for me to believe that everybody's going to be lined up saying, "Yeah, it's bearish. It sure is bearish," and we stay and just keep trucking lower. But maybe. I'm take well, it when all the campers are, what's that? I said I don't know, maybe, but I'm going to try and build a position. I think, like you said to me about, you know, like before we were talking rice. I mean, I'd like to have a full bullish position built, but if we were to reach 280, and uh, you know, I just, I just, I just makes me feel like I wouldn't have a ton of additional downside risk. Maybe I guess, like you said, if we keep planting the acres, which it doesn't look like anybody's going to stop. I said last time, maybe we get prices so low 
they stopped planting them in South America, but I don't think, do you? Well, no. In fact, uh, you know, they just released their new details for their harvest plan for 2020 yeah. and 2021. And, you know, basically they're, they're making more money available at lower interest rates. And, you know, they're looking, they were looking pre-COVID for about a 3% GDP growth in 2020. And post-COVID, it's now 5 to 7% negative. And obviously the real has gotten crushed as a result. But, you know, in Brazil, 20% of their GDP is ag, and, and and they're going the opposite direction. Hell, this year you're going to set a new high record in uh, corn or beans and close to last year's record in corn. And, you know, next year they're looking for an increase in expansion beyond because, you know, with the real where it is versus the dollar, it's uh, it makes sense. And so, no, they're not backing down one iota. Yeah, I don't know. I'm they're not. They're not backing down, and uh, I, but I agree with you. I mean, I, there's a point you have to own it, and you know, yeah. Let, hell, I remember when we were up there at 4:30, and everyone's pumping their chests the last year, and myself included. I was the biggest cheer band cheerleader in the band um, for the uh, you know acreage loss that somehow just kind of evaporated like sand through our fingers, um, and here we are. Uh, but but. Just like, you know, then we were saying there's very limited downside, as you said, and, and now we're saying uh, there's very limited upside. So somewhere in between lies the truth, and, and I, I agree that uh, I don't know what is going to be the catalyst. Weather certainly is the most obvious, and we don't have that right now, and jury's still out on how the summer will progress. But um, somewhere along the line, you're right. You're going to get a bounce, and... It could be material if you have weather problems, and it could be just that if you don't. So I, I agree with you. I want to be start buying corn here. What do you think on demand? I mean, we really need a demand story. If we could get a demand story, that changes it. But do you think, even when I talked to you, it was a few weeks back, we said, in the uncertainty with China, I mean, even if China were to step in, are they? I mean, can they buy enough to even make a difference on the demand side right now? I mean, what's your opinion? Well, they bought a cargo last week, didn't they? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know, th their interior prices are through the moon. It, it, it's there's the economics over there don't make any sense. That's all just government manipulation. But uh, yeah, I, that's the other problem. I mean, you know, South America is expanding. You know, as as a result of the uh, trade war, and now they continue to as a result of uh, the weak real. Um, so. We're, we're losing our, you know, traditional markets to them, just like we did in wheat back in the day to uh, Europe, and now, you know, Eastern Europe, Russia, Ukraine, and um, you know, we become the residual supplier in wheat, where we don't even produce enough to out a shotgun barrel anymore. Um, not sure that happens in corn, but I don't. I just don't have that big. Uh, Where's the next ethanol demand project coming from? Where's the export demand coming from? Uh, I, I just don't see as the high-cost producer us being competitive um, at the moment, and hopefully that changes. But I don't see where we see a big you know, surge in export demand and this country's starving and blah, blah, blah. It's just not happening right now. You hearing anything on the ethanol side? I I've talked to Willis in a while, but I think gasoline demand bounce. I mean, we're probably somewhere 85 to 
92% of where we were, I think. But hell, now we got these new shutdowns coming from Florida and parts of Texas, I or all of Texas, I guess, at the bars and some of the other. I mean, what do you think on that? you think we're going to – have we seen peak gasoline demand? Well, usually we see it in the summer, obviously. Um, people are going to be more apt to drive than they are fly. I, I'm, I can't find a lot to get too optimistic about. I was talking to Willis the other day. And you know they're they're starting to sell a lot of their ethanol production into the uh, hand sanitizer market <laughs> right. at better margins. So you know that's just an alternative. It's it's not a big enough market to make a difference in terms of our overall production. And you know the uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, good things happening on the demand side unless China decides to step in, and they they could be a big. Uh, factor in ethanol demand um, assuming they start getting on board with their with their commitments in the uh, phase one but you know shit you can argue Brett back and forth all day long about you know what's going on in China um, you know they obviously aren't probably in love with Trump so they're you know we could argue as you've been saying they, that they want to wait until after the election to uh, to, to become um, compliant and after the election they if, if Trump weren't to win then they really don't need to ever become compliant. So it's in their best interest to, to maybe drag their feet and use COVID or whatever at one of the other hundred bullshit excuses they come up with for, for, for uh, lying and cheating. But, um, yeah, so I, I'm not a big fan or believer that we're going to get this phase one intact and everything back on track uh, before November. I think everyone's going to drag their feet. Yeah, I think they probably hedge their bet a little in case Trump wins. They they buy enough just so he doesn't completely go nuts and uh, keeps them somewhat in the game, I guess. And then if he wins, I guess he'll hold their feet to the fire a little more and they'll probably get more aggressive. So uh, I don't know. That's probably what we see between now and the, You know, we're only about, I was thinking this, we come back from July 4th holiday. I mean, we're 120 days from the election. Yeah. November 3rd. Yeah, you know, I, I read it. Ben Hootie sent out a great article the other day, and I, I read it, and it talked about how China is leaving us in the dust on so many different fronts. You know, hell, our government spends all our time fighting over partisan issues, and, and we, you know, we get very little done, and we live through every two- and four-year election cycles, so we really get nothing done, and that's only become more partisan as time's gone forward, whereas China, on the other hand, they have no electorate to answer, electorate to, answer to, and they're kicking our ass on infrastructure projects from railroads to dams to ports to bridges to roads to airports to aircraft and probably the most alarming area is space because you know he who controls space controls the world and uh you know they have a a domination theory up there that that is scary when you start reading some of the dark dark side stuff on that so you know um <clears throat> but you know they, they don't have those same constraints and that a democracy does so they they have an unfair advantage in that regard. Yeah, I still I question and debate all that. They're kicking our ass story, but hey, that's, we'll leave that probably for another day. I'm a fan of looking. <laughs> yeah, at the we scoreboard. can go on for days on that. You got it. Yeah, right, look man, at let's look at the scoreboard. Where do people want to live? They you don't want to live in China. They want to live here. No, I don't know. Manufacturing is pulling out of there as fast as it can. Is yeah, you know, we're bringing back a lot yeah. of things to this country, and that's all positive. Um, hell, yeah. we got to do something to replace all these uh, service jobs that are getting lost along the way with uh, COVID and 
and the, you know the rise of AI as a result of it, and and the lack of uh, restaurant and, and you know hospitality industry. I mean, we can go on for days about that. We have all yeah. over the many podcasts, but uh, you know people are leaving China, and that's for sure. <clears throat> we'll have yeah. to see. They're not going to sit down and take it without a fight, and uh, we're not either. So. It'll be interesting to watch, and certainly life's yeah. going to be a whole lot different next year than it is this year. That's for sure. Um, well, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the, on the soybeans right now, uh, Kevin? I mean, uh, yeah, I, you know, you know, you know I, I, you know, I'm not. <laughs> I've kept been saying as a producer, we've been trying to defend that 850 area, and I know it sounds low, but with the subsidies and some of the extra money, I mean, you got to. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a realistic chance. I, I mean, if China, if we get crossways, crossways, sideways with China, I mean, hell, Daddy, I mean, there's a chance that, you know, we could see sub $8 beans, and that number just don't work. Uh, that, that doesn't work for anyone. And, and that's why I'm just saying. I, I'm trying to – I'd like to say that there's a ton of upside potential, but come on, if, if, if. We all know. I mean, I think the trade's pretty much thrown in the towel on the fact Acres are probably moving higher. We we got to believe total acres moved higher just with the great weather that we had. And, and if people were going to get out there and plant, they you know they're most of the guys wanted to plant some extra corn and maybe flip some acres to beans on a little bit of a cash flow issue. But we think that the trade's pretty much thinking the bean acres are going higher. And hell, there's really no reason. It's tough to debate a bear right now. The yield isn't working its way higher either. So it's like you got acres going higher, yield probably going a hair higher based on the current weather, uh, you know. So here we start to move, and now you know we're crossway. I think China came out and said some things on Friday when we closed, you know, if we get sideways with them on Taiwan and Hong Kong and some of this other stuff, then they they would definitely rethink the phase one uh, agreement. And like you and I said, I think they're going to play some political gamesmanship between now and the next 120 days before the election. So I don't see them stepping in here as any huge buyer or any <laughs> providing Trump any big tailwind of support. And uh, so that means we're sitting here talking supply. And to me, it feels like supply is going to get a little bit, unless there's a late weather story in late July or August, but it doesn't feel like it right now. So that's why I said, you, you know, you got to try and, I think, play defensively here a little bit, even though you want to believe there's a ton of upside potential. But I don't know. I just can't get there with it. Funds are long, what, 40,000 contracts or something? It seems yeah, like they want to yeah. be spread. They want to be long beans against anything else, which makes sense. But until they unwind it, you know, I don't know. So. I'm playing beans more defensive than I am corn. That's probably just the opposite of what other people are saying, but. Well, contrarians usually uh, are the ones that make money, and uh, you've uh, you, you've done well being a contrarian over the years. I will say, without a doubt. You know, soybeans. Yeah, what, what are you going to really say? I mean, it, it's just impossible for any analyst to sit there and, and make any sort of meaningful projections on export demand on a lot of things, maybe domestic to some degree. But when our sixty percent of the export market is China, and you know, there's so many things that go into those decisions and, you know, will they or won't they and how will they do it? You know, you, you just can't anticipate that. And any headline that comes out is going to uh, wreak havoc um, to the downside on uh, a negative comment. And, 
you know, could be supportive on a, on a positive comment. But right now, we got gracious plenty, and our weather market really isn't until August, maybe early September for soybeans, as we all, as it always is. Um, so we got a long, we got some time before we uh, can start predicting uh, production in a meaningful way. But on the demand side, you know, <laughs> as goes China, so goes price. So I'm with you. I there's no one else that can come in and uh, have that impact. Yeah. So I think it'll be interesting. Oh. Let me ask you this: I think it'll be interesting too to see how the USDA plays the the feed and residual numbers with corn and even with some of the other with wheat and how, how they play it with the corona going on. You know how the livestock was backed up, and I've heard some guys argue that maybe we fed less corn and fed more alternatives just to kind of get the animals limped along and because no one really had any certainty on where they were going to take the animals or what was going to happen. And then there's some other guys saying had a lot of low test weights with corn from last year's crop or what's in the supply pipeline. So maybe we fed more corn and hell through the years though. And feeding residual has always been the big wild card on, on both kind of in all these markets. So I, I just think there's so much uncertainty, like you're saying with China, Corona, Hell, no one, no one knows. I mean, and the USDA could interpret that data. Any, they could, you know, who, who knows what's right and what's wrong. Even it's pretty tough right here. No, that's right. Yep, yeah, that's yeah. right. It's kind of very. Um, you doing anything with wheat? You got any position on the wheat or anything? Or? No, no. I mean, I, I, I leave the, uh, the wheat market to you. You're the, uh, the matador. I've been lucky. We, we, uh, I'm lucky I, I don't I'm have. Lucky I didn't get back in. Is what I'm lucky. I kept wanting to get back in on the boys' side. Never did. That turned out to be a blessing. I think we're at nine month lows now in the soft bread. I think. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Just, there doesn't seem to be a story there. That's for sure. Nothing fresh. No. Nothing fresh, and um, you know, it's weed is a weed. We just continue to go down in our global in our U.S. production because other countries can grow it. And yeah, we're we're the ultimate residual in wheat now, so we don't we're not a leader. Yeah. Um, I just don't I don't see a story there either. And unfortunately, you know, the, this is the doldrums that we used to have back in the uh, hell in the you know in the late '90s when when you know you'd have a two cent a day ranges in corn and the like. We're getting more ranges than that because you have more, you know, traders trading and swapping money back and forth. But um, fundamentally, you know, there just doesn't seem to be a, a big story at the moment. But as we know, things do change, and uh, that too shall change. Thank God we got um, as much uh, subsidy money coming at us this year as we we do. Or, you know, I think that's helped certainly the farm community and the uh, farm economy. But that's, you know... That kind of sugar high, like the uh, all the Fed printing and the Fed spending, is um, is at some time the, the music stops. So we'll just have to see how it goes. Only other thing that uh, I want to talk about a little bit is uh, rice. As you know, we had a just came off a hell of a year in rice. Uh, <laughs> something we've never seen before. We went from 11 bucks to 23 bucks and back to 13 bucks. Um, and, you know, the top to the now near-term low all happened in about a four- or five-week period of time. We blew out the uh, 
the shorts on the way up, margin clerks were there were with open uh, buy orders, and once the last one got filled, uh, the same thing happened in reverse on the downside. And so really the July is out of the way now. We're under 1,000 open interest. We've got options expiration Monday, tomorrow night, Monday night. It will be tomorrow when this is played. Um, and um, I, I frankly think, uh, I'm sorry, on Tuesday, but I, I frankly think we're going to see some deliveries against the July. Um, at these price levels, uh, the middle market just isn't there right now. Everyone got what they needed, and uh, they're going to wait to new crops. So we're going to end up probably seeing, uh, you know, three, four hundred deliveries, um, and we're still at a buck inverse after having been at almost eleven dollar inverse thirty days less than thirty days ago. Uh, that's a big move for a, a small little crop, crop like rice. Going forward to the coming year, we got the uh, stocks number or the the numbers coming out on Tuesday, and I think you're going to see the market's looking for, what, a 20,000-acre reduction in rice starting, uh, you know, on the report. I think you could see a 100 to 150-acre increase um, because these are intentions and not actual plannings. Uh, you know, we'll give, it'll be mid-August before we get the certified acres that come out from FSA. I think that eventually the March number will be a hundred to two hundred thousand less than that in the final final production, um, but for now, farmers have an, a, a high incentive to embellish or, I wouldn't say the word lie, to, to because the insurance premiums on, on rice are head and shoulders above corn or beans, so you always do get an inflated number and in the intentions that <laughs> will come back to reality once they get the certified acres done, and they they're still getting that collecting that data and will be to the end of July, so. Uh, Really, we're not going to know anything more until then. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, we're we're going to see a bigger acreage number on Tuesday. It's my dart at the dartboard. Um, and eventually that number will come down once we get actual certified acres. Last year, the uh, average farm price, the USDA pegged it at 1180 This year, they're pegging it at 1210 So I do think the downside from here is limited. Um, Brazilian prices now, are, and there are competition in this hemisphere, <coughs> are much stronger than they were last year. <laughs> and so far in the first three months of the year, they've already sold 50% of what they expect to sell for the whole year. And that's because, you know, they're selling to our traditional clients because we ran out this year. So come September, they'll be out and we'll be the, you know, the export market of choice. So I think the, the future of rice and direction of price is going to have everything to do with exports this year. Um, right now, the USDA is saying we're going to be up a million acres on our export, uh, uh, 100 million hundredweights on our exports. I think it could be 10 to 15 million, but it's going to take you know several months for that to play out and for that reality to be realized. So, for now, you know the stocks number I look for about 27 and a half million long grain uh, rough rice in the uh, in, in the report on Tuesday and maybe two and a half million uh, long grain milled rice which would come equate to about an August 1st number of which is where the USDA is carrying ending stocks at 16.2 million hundredweight um, if we get a big number you know could you break from here 50 cents down to 11.50 yeah uh, and until we get a better feel for export demand and, and get the actual, um, you know, plannings um, into August and later, over the next three months, I think you know, 11.50 would be the rock bottom low. Uh, 13 bucks would be the, uh, 
short, you know, the high for now uh, in the next three months. Forward to that, I think it'd go considerably higher if I'm right about um, the acreage being overstated, not only on Tuesday, but that it will actually go down by the time we get to August. Uh, the export market is really where it's going to end up being the uh, storyline this year. And South America, you know, is going to have a hard time planning come September because of the uh, uh, the high price. You know, the, the, the real is getting crushed, and that helps their exports, but it also, all their inputs are, are based in dollars. So I think you're going to see a shorter crop down there. They're going to come in on, you know, we're going to have a big export market starting uh, in the fall. And right now you got September at a 25-cent inverse roughly to November. I think that you'll see the September, if we get a big crop, a big acreage number uh, Tuesday, would probably get hit on the September more so than the, the, the November. And um, so eventually, usually, you know, the last days of the month preceding first notice date, so against the September as an example, you'll probably see um, uh, the spread go from a 25-cent inverse in the SEPNOVE to a, uh, you know, a 20-cent carry to the SEPNOVE. Um, so I think that any downside is going to be more in the September, which is technically new crop, but with the lateness of the crop, it's kind of perceived to be right now old crop. Um, but I don't see, you know, the, the November having a whole lot of downside, maybe 20, 30 cents. And if it happens, it probably happens sooner than later. And uh, I got a small position uh, right now in the uh, November. Um, I don't think it's time at all to load the boat, but I wouldn't be a seller with stolen money. And at the end of the day, I think that we'll see a market evolve probably nothing like the year we just ended with, but that was one for the record books to begin with. But at the same time, I do look for the market to work its way higher over time. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be the market of, la of, of, la of last year, but it's going to be a good market all the same. It's just going to take time to evolve. Yep. What else? You you long gold still? Yeah, yeah, I'm long gold. And, uh <laughs> I'm not too sorry about that at the moment. That's that's uh, yeah. no, nah, I've stayed away from the crude market. Thank God. Last time we were on a call talking about crude oil, I ended up selling it at 21 bucks because as we were talking, the market went negative, and I had the good fortune of buying it back to uh, the next day down uh, 12 dollars, and I haven't t touched it since. So I can say in my trading history, I sold gold at uh, or crude at 21 bucks and bought it back at 950 or something like that. Um, so no, I haven't messed with it. I have for good reason, but but gold, you know, it's been on a tear. I mean, it's no no secret, you know, low or no interest rates, the U.S. and China trade tensions and a weaker dollar and the tsunami of uh, stimulus flooding the world is not only hugely inflationary, but also paints a weaker picture for the overall economy. You look back over history, the all-time high in gold was made in, what, February 1980 at around $2,160, and the, the recent low or high was made in July of 12, 2011 at 1830 bucks, And here we are today around $1,780. We're only 50 bucks from taking out the, uh, the uh, um, 2011 high and $380, which in the scheme of things isn't a lot, from taking out the all-time high. Um, so I'm, I'm friendly to gold. Uh, obviously, on any given day, you can get a setback. But, you know, if, if, if you believe that we're in one form or fashion, whether it's paper or actual, and I kind of look for it to be paper uh, inflation, 
Gold's a pretty good hedge against uh, all other things, my opinion. How do you see gold? No, I'm not in it, but I've honestly just been watching from the sideline. Still have Bitcoin. Yeah. Hasn't performed like gold in my opinion. I mean, I've had a great year in Bitcoin being long, but, you know, you would think, I I got a different opinion on Bitcoin. I think it's trading hand-in-hand with the stock market, honestly. I mean, when you watch the market break, similar traders, same type of traders, it feels like to me, at least, you know, a lot of these aggressive day traders or or shorter-term swing traders that we've seen start to really come into play. I don't know. It's a different mindset uh, out there for sure. But I would have liked to have seen gold rally on days where it's more of a safe haven type play. Or I should say Bitcoin. But it's not reacting that way. I mean, it's not reacting like gold. You know what I mean? Gold reacts more as a safe haven like you're saying. Bitcoin, to me, it's reacting more like a spec swing trade play. When the stock market gets whacked, Bitcoin seems to get hit. And it's almost like people are having to take money out of Bitcoin you know, to pay the margin gods maybe over on the other side and vice versa. And I, I don't know. Making me a little apprehensive. But what do you think about the stock market? You're still you're still short? Some, I should say, have a hedge on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm still short some. I've uh I've been donating to the uh to the young bulls uh as an old bear. But um yeah, I'm I'm still short. I think that at the end of the day, you have to have consumers, and uh, but for now, I, I don't know how far you break uh, with all the black swans swimming around these days. But the Fed's got every incentive and every given every indication they're not going to they're going to be there to keep supporting it all the way through. And as long as they keep sugar in the gas tank, I, I don't know how you break materially unless it's an unforeseen black swan until after the election and uh you know if you, if you if, uh, what's his name biden uh were to win you know i think he'd be fifteen thousand offered in the dow looking for a bid um and if trump wins then you know there might be economic anticipation of good things to come but we still have to deal with all this mess and the trillions of dollars that needs to get repaid somewhere along the way and the bankruptcies that are going through the roof so I'm, no matter who wins, I think, you know, I, I can't get too bulled up. Um, it's all a matter of timing. It's all a matter of timing. How do you see it? Well, I think you'll probably do well. I, I pitched all my last short positions to close the session there Friday. So I'm okay. out. I'm no longer, I have no longer have any short uh, stock positions on. I, you know, I, I sit there and just look. Well, at at least you got a tax write off, right? Well, hey, I, yeah, got, probably. I guess. You got your tax write off. I mean, your damn rice trade ended up, you know, between the rice and a few others and wheat and a couple other trades. I mean, hell, I've had a good year. The stock market hedge, I guess, was, but it was kind of a hedge. So I've been long, my biggest positions were Spotify and Tesla and shit. They just exploded higher. So I, I mean, I can't. I told myself going into this, I said, when this thing broke, we were at the Super Bowl in February, and we were reading all the headlines and hearing all the chatter from China, and I told Michelle, I said, you know, if I can look back at the end of this in six months, I'm further ahead financially than where we started. I, hell, I feel good about myself, and, and I told Jordan that on the call the other day. I said, hey, we, we've, we've done way ahead of where we were, uh, gross overall 
And I'm like, I'm just, you know, hey, let's let's just tip our hats here and move to the sideline on a lot of stuff. And, and that's really what we did. And so I'm happy to escape what what's happened here unscathed with actually some pretty significant gains. I'm like, holy shit. I would, I would have never have guessed. You know, I thought, man, we could really get rocked. And so, we, you know, hey, we're blessed. I'm glad that I have the friends I have that uh, – made some suggestions they made. But, you know, I, I tell you, though, looking at real data, Andy, think about this. If you look back, we made those March, March 09, we made the lows in the stock market. About 65 days later, uh, we were up about 65%. We make the lows mm-hmm. here in March in the stock market. About 65 days later, we're up about 65%. I mean, it's damn near lock, lock and step. Now, I suspect if you play it forward, what happened in 09, we probably chop sideways, and I suspect either 2,900 in the SP or 3,000, somewhere in there is like the battleground area. And we probably chop sideways with some – I think you could have some 5% down days once a week, you know, maybe once a week for the next five, six, eight weeks, and you'll have some big up days and some significant down days. But if you look back to 08 uh, – we did rally, or I should say 09, after the lows were made. We did rally to like 15 20% after we hit that chopping around period into year end. One, one caveat, I mean, we are, good, like you said, we do have this election coming up in November. and I don't know. I'm torn on it. I, I don't know how it will play out. But like I said, I, 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 I'm just not sure about where I am mentally on the stock. And the other thing I challenge people to think about is this. So when we broke, I started thinking about this a lot. When we broke in, in 09 uh, and hit the bottom, it took Vegas about 10 years or more to recover to, to where it was, you know, to get back to the attendance and the people and everything that was there. But, hell, we had sure. already damn near – we blew through the old highs and everything else in the stock market. Like Grant took rich. I mean, we blew through the highs like it was no tomorrow way sooner than that. And what I – what I have to keep reminding myself is, I mean, the average length of time a company stays in the S&P 500 nowadays is like seven years, seven and a half years, six years, something like that. So we're out with the old, men with the new. And what I'm saying is, you know, you're, you're dumping old companies that are having problems transitioning or maybe they've got stuck. And those companies are falling off. And you're adding new companies like the Shopify's, the Tesla's, and the new, and the Amazon, different players. So the stock market's not always – you know, it's just real easy to think of the stock market being the economy, and it's just not. And, you know, you're adding these new companies that are doing new things with Zoom and Pelotons. And I can go through the whole list, and you're, you're, you're shedding off the old companies in the stock market. And so to me, I'm like, man, maybe I have been looking at the, you know, maybe I am the old bear and the new bulls, like you say. And I, I, I just, I, I just looked at our overall portfolio of where we were at and what we've done with our real estate things and our other position. I just said, hey, <laughs> to be ahead through these six months, if anybody's actually ahead after these last six months, you know, you probably tip yourself, uh, tip your hat there, and you've done a hell of a job. So, And I know a lot of people aren't, and I'm not trying to make any amends to that or gloat on that. So I'm, I, I'm just saying, I, I think it's very difficult waters right here, so – Rather than me get stuck and just adamantly think I got to be right on this position, I just I'm gonna toss in the towel and live to play another day. I think so. I, you know, I don't know. I I, I I think we could go higher. There's just so much stimulus. My goodness, look at this. It's crazy, isn't it? 
We've been so much. It's, it's insane. It, it's, it's not going to go away. The Fed is here. They've said it. And, uh, oh, you know, yeah. They're not going away. They're going to keep pumping. No, they, I think it was a great analogy for me just in my mindset when I heard Powell say, you know, basically, hey, listen, we're going to build a bridge across to the other side. Now, however long that bridge has to be, we're going to build it. And we're going to get people across to the other side of this safely. So with that being said, you know, I, man, they have definitely pumped a ton of money in. And I think there's a ton of more to come. And all I'm saying is when we land on the other side, there's going to be so much more free money available or easy money available that you're, you know, and I think the market's really anticipating that. And I don't know what that means or how that shakes out for, you know, I guess some companies are going to go to the wayside, but, Man, there's going to be a lot put in play when it when it flips and turns. So, well, I you think you did a hell of a job. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, so did you so hear, hear anything, anything from any, Bill? Any of the guys you were with, the uh, the medical guys or anything, anything closer on a vaccine or a better treatments or anything much on that front? No, no. I mean, there's they were talking about some interesting technology and. Israel that you blow into a like a a, a breathalyzer and uh, three puffs in, into that and 30 seconds later you have uh, your results if you are if you're COVID or COVID free and uh, that could be a game changer just in terms of opening up sporting events airlines hotels that could be a big game changer if that gets out in a, in a in a big way right now the best thing we have is Abbott and the uh, nose swab um, as far as uh, vaccines that that, that would be outside their bailiwick of, of, of thinking, but uh, treatment-wise, they're they're optimistic about uh, you know different combination treatments that that they're seeing and and that are having a positive impact. So, you know, that, one of their comments I thought was interesting is that even if you do get a vaccine, I doubt you're going to see 30% of the population even take it, which uh, I, I didn't quite understand, but but they don't think you're going to get the kind of big participation, just like you don't with the flu and other things like that. Um, yeah. You know, those that are vulnerable, obviously all will, but those that aren't uh, and those that have had it and therefore, you know, consider themselves immune and more of those are going to be coming down the pike as we go forward. Um, they just don't see that this is being something that 8 billion people on planet earth end up get taking. So right. I thought it was interesting. Oh, I've never even had a flu shot. You eat the flu shot every year? No, I never have. No, I never have either. That's probably not good. We probably should. <laughs> yeah, we we'll just jinx ourselves, Daddy. Thanks. Yeah, no shit. Knock on wood on that one. Uh, <laughs> hell. Hey, so are we going to get Jim on next round, probably? Or talk about yeah, yeah, we're going to have a. Uh, we're going to be joined by Jim Meyer. Uh, Jim Meyer is uh, one of the smartest guys I know. He's basically uh, chief marketing officer uh, emeritus um, he was president of Saatchi and Saatchi and he's been uh, involved in the ag world or the advertising world he's really starting to spend a lot of focus now on where food and um, uh, and healthcare intersect and he's working with uh, Carter at iSelect and so you know he's got a lot of thoughts and insights as to what uh, the post-COVID world looks like he also is a hell of a um, handicapper in the horse racing business so uh, as a sideline hobby. So I'm looking forward to getting Jim on the phone and, you know, hearing a lot more about how 
this world that seems upside down with all the political unrest and all the riots and everything else and social media and how it all kind of plays in together. So I look for a real heated debate on that, on that call. And, uh, I know Kevin has some uh, strong opinions, uh, as well. So this, this will be a good one. I can't wait. We'll be doing that next week. Yeah. We're going to talk, uh, yeah, the whole country getting riled up, possible civil wars and all the, uh, all the crazy stuff going on, right? So that should be, uh, yeah, that should spark some uh, fun conversation. So I guess we'll oh, yeah, be getting, yeah, I've been getting a ton of email. You know, just a lot of people. They're just a, like you said, even when we talked earlier. I mean, it just feels like the world's turned upside down to a lot of folks. And I don't know. It's uh, definitely times are changing. And, you know, I guess we'll see how things play out here. But it's uh, it's definitely a lot of uncertainty. The last six months have been crazy. I mean, if you think about it, you got a global pandemic. <laughs> You got the social unrest. You got you know just the wild swings in the stock market, massive unemployment, hit, massive stimulus. I mean, you couldn't throw many more balls in the air. So I don't know. Biggest concern I have throughout all that, Daddy, is is the the wealth gap and how it's widening out. And you know those that have been fortunate enough to be on the right side are going to do great, and those on the bottom end, and it, it's just going to make the 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 haves and have-nots grow at a, at a rate that just scares me to death. And we'll talk more about that next week. But that's my biggest fear out of all this. We can go through and not have probably have totally partisan politics, but at the end of the day, we're all uh, we're all people, and we're all and the, the most people listening to this call are all U.S. citizens. And um, you know, it's it's uh, the the way life's been is changing. There's no doubt about it. And as an old bear, I guess. Uh, I I got a lot to learn, so I, I look forward to the conversations. Yeah, we're coming into the Fourth uh, of July weekend, so fitting. I you know when I go out and talk, everyone will ask usually and say, "Well, you know, how did how are we getting to this point?" And I, I still go back to I heard uh, someone tell you know it's we're always defined by the the, the threads of commonality that bound us all together and. Uh, with the algorithms and social media and the different types of media sources. I mean, now we're defined by what we're against. I mean, you know, you're against guns, you're against abortion, you're against Democrat, you're against Republican. I mean, so now you're, you're thrown into these groups where you're defined against something and, you know, it's just crazy. And so as the algorithms get better and better at defining us, they seem to want to categorize us for what we're against more than what we're all uh, for. And that's, that's sad, but uh, it's certainly where we're headed. So it leaves a lot of discussion. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, you and the kids, the kids out there with you in Idaho, or are you guys doing the fourth out there, or what are you doing? Got part of the family, the wife, the dog, and my son are out here, and uh, my other two are uh, different parts of the country. Um, but, yeah, we're we're out here and staying safe. How about you? Yeah, the kids were thinking about it. I guess they were going to go down to Texas with their buddies and all their friends. Uh, my daughter was going down there. Her girlfriend just got a job, and uh, – but now I guess they shut all the bars down, so <laughs> they probably don't have anything to do for the July 4th weekend, so they just told me today they're probably sticking around. So, um, yeah, we'll probably be out and about and see what's happening, just, I guess, stay close to home. So they've canceled most all the fireworks displays and everything around our area. And, you know, no public displays and a lot of that stuff, so I guess cut down on all the gas. Yep. Same so, around here, too. I think that's pretty sure. universal. Yeah. Crazy times we live in, buddy. Well, wow. I'll never thought we'd see it. Some, I'll probably call you for some barbecue tips over the weekend, so. 
Hey, I'll be around, and uh, I'll be working on uh, some barbecue myself. So uh, have a great weekend, um, and uh, thanks to all the listeners, and uh, we appreciate all you uh, all you do.